Today on Abounding Grace from Pastor Ed Taylor. God's heart, the Bible says, is for reconciliation. That's his heart. That God even speaks to us that he has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Primarily, that is our responsibility to share the gospel and love people and tell them about the love of God, but also within the body of Christ. It's God's heart for us to be reconciled. It's God's heart for there to be humility and repentance. It's God's heart for there to be forgiveness because division destroys. It destroys homes, it destroys marriages, it destroys friendships, and it has even the potential to pull down governments, even churches. This is amazing grace. Hi there, friend. Good to be with you. This is Abounding Grace, and we're midway through a series of studies in 1 Kings. Pastor Ed Taylor will join us shortly in chapter 12. The kingdom is divided at this point in time, and as we'll discover, that never ends well. The same holds true today. Whether we're talking about a nation, a family, or a church, division is destructive in more ways than one. Let's see what we can take away from this. Verse 16, now when all Israel saw that the king did not listen to them, the people answered the king saying, what portion have we in David? We have no inheritance in the son of Jesse. To your tents, O Israel. Now see to your own house, O David. So Israel departed to their tents. But Rehoboam reigned over the children of Israel who dwelt in the cities of Judah. Then King Rehoboam sent Adoram, who was in charge of the revenue, but all Israel stoned him with stones, and he died. Therefore, King Rehoboam mounted his chariot in haste to flee to Jerusalem. So Israel has been in rebellion against the house of David to this day. Now, this is the beginning of the divided kingdom. The ten northern tribes refused to serve Rehoboam, instead choosing to serve Jeroboam, which begins this divided kingdom. It was the tribes of Judah and Benjamin that followed and stayed with Rehoboam. And so now we have the divide. No longer a united kingdom. We've got 10 tribes against two tribes. And this begins the divided kingdom. Division always destroys. Division's not going to end well. God's heart, the Bible says, is for reconciliation. That's his heart. That God even speaks to us that he has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Primarily, that is our responsibility to share the gospel and love people and tell them about the love of God, but also within the body of Christ. It's God's heart for us to be reconciled. It's God's heart for there to be humility and repentance. It's God's heart for there to be forgiveness because division destroys. It destroys homes. It destroys marriages. It destroys friendships. And it has even the potential to pull down governments, even churches. That's why it says in Psalm 133, verse 1, Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. And so if Satan can get us against each other, if Satan and the devil and our own flesh, our own desires can get us hating on one another, 
can get us backbiting and fighting and bickering and talking about people and stabbing them and, and taking advantage of the church. And I don't just mean within our church. I mean, that has great application for us as believers that are in a local church. But look at the mess that the larger church body of Christ is and how easy it is to say, well, we don't, we're not one of them and we're not one of them and I don't like that and they don't do it wrong. I mean, that's, that's I, don't, I don't know. I don't know how the Lord feels about that in particular. I know what the Bible says. That, the, that God isn't into these factions and these divisions. So we don't agree. We don't agree on certain things. We don't do ministry the certain ways or all the same way. I mean, there's every church in town has got a different flavor to it, a different direction to it. You know, every real church that's preaching the true gospel of Christ and is pointing people to the cross of Jesus Christ, his birth, his, his death, his resurrection. I mean, churches have variety because there's a variety of people in the world. And let me, let me show you something. Turn over to 1 Corinthians for a moment. Division always ends ugly. It is not going to be blessed by God. A divided heart won't be blessed by God. A divided church won't be blessed by God. A divided uh, family, anything that's divided. Jesus warned us that what's divided is not going to stand. He warned us. Notice what was happening in the early church in 1 Corinthians. There was great difficulty. There, there was division. Uh, notice in chapter 3 with me, would you? 1 Corinthians. It just The Lord just put that verse in my mind. I want to read it to you just so you know that churches deal with this stuff. It's normal. It's just not good. You know, it's normal, but just because something's normal doesn't mean it's from the Lord. The Bible says division is carnal. That's what the Bible says. Division is carnal. And I, brethren, verse 1, cannot speak to you as spiritual people, but as to carnal, as babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until, for until now you weren't able to receive it. Even now you're still not able, for you are still carnal, for where there is envy strife, and what does your Bible say? Say loud. Divisions. Where there are divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? The answer to that question is yes. It's a rhetorical question. In the church in Corinth, right? Lest you think it's just a 21st century issue, right in the beginning. I mean, even among the followers of Jesus, there was division and rivalries. And it's just those things we have to put before the Lord. And the thing, when, it, when those feelings rise up, we need to crucify our flesh. They were even picking people, verse 4. I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos. Aren't you carnal? Who then is Paul? Who is Apollos? Who is Ed? That's not in there, but I want to throw it out there. <laughs> like, That's not my Bible. Who are these guys? Well, they're ministers. Remember what I told you? The word minister literally means servant. They're ministers through whom you believed and the Lord gave each one. And this is, isn't this encouraging? We're all in it together. I planted, Paul says, Apollos watered, but God's, he gave the increase. So neither he who plants is anything nor he who waters, but it's God who gives the increase. Division never ends well. By the time we finish studying this part of Israel's history, the northern tribes, known as Israel, will have seen 19 kings, and only eight of those kings were good. Only eight of those kings had any good in their leadership. The southern two tribes, known as Judah, 
So just remember that. Israel to the north. Israel is made up of 10 tribes. Judah to the south, made up of two tribes. They will see 20 kings. And you know, the southern tribes, they will have zero good kings. Zero good leadership from this day forward. So out of a total of 39, only eight good kings out of them. And we'll study them in our time. The end of their history will be Assyria scattering Israel in 726 B.C. and Judah being taken captive by Babylon in 586 B.C. And this is the Babylonian captivity, you recall, that is tied together with Ezra, Nehemiah, coming back to rebuild the walls because Jerusalem was laid desolate and the temple was destroyed and the walls of Jerusalem. Yet... There's good news. Let me show you something else. Go to Ezekiel chapter 37. There's still good news with this in the divided kingdom because God spoke of a future in the Bible and prophetically in Ezekiel. So I'll give you some time to find it. Ezekiel 37. It's going to be backwards to the left. Ezekiel 37. Pick up with me in verse 15. God had a word of of the land of Israel being reunited and no mention of division. Again, the word of the Lord came to me saying, as for you, son of man, take a stick for yourself and write on it for Judah and for the children of Israel, his companions. Then take another stick and write on it for Joseph, the stick of Ephraim and for all the house of Israel, his companions. Then join them one to another for yourself into one stick and they will become one in your hands. And the children of your people will speak to you saying, will you not show us what this means? Say to them, thus saith the Lord God, surely I will take the stick of Joseph, which is in the hand of Ephraim and the tribes of Israel, his companions, and I will join them with it, with the stick of Judah, and make them one stick, and they will be one in my hand. One in my hand. Notice verse 21. And then say to them, surely I'll take the children of Israel from among the nations, wherever they have gone, And will gather them from every side and bring them into their own land. And I will make them one nation in that land. Jot this down. May 14th, 1948, Israel was declared a nation once again. A sovereign nation. And God is still bringing back and fulfilling this prophecy in Ezekiel of bringing back the Jews to their promised homeland even to this day. And your church is a part of helping We have missionaries there helping bring back and fulfill prophecy. It's amazing. And here there, there's there's not a lot of mention of division in Israel today because God is fulfilling his word. Okay, come back and let's find our way through the rest of the chapter here. Now in verse 21, when Rehoboam... When Rehoboam came to Jerusalem, he assembled all the house of Judah with the tribe of Benjamin, 180,000 chosen men who were warriors to fight against the house of Israel, that he might restore the kingdom of Rehoboam and the son of Solomon. But the word of God came to Shimeiah, the man of God, saying, Speak to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, king of Judah, to all the house of Judah and Benjamin, and to the rest of the people, saying, Thus says the Lord, You shall not go up or fight against your brethren, the children of Israel. Let every man return to me or return to his house. Mark this. This is the second one I want you to mark in the chapter. For this thing is of me. Notice the capitalization. Let every man, don't go to war. Let every man 
return to his house, for this thing is of me. Therefore, they obeyed the word of the Lord and turned back according to the word of the Lord. So Rehoboam sees the division. He decides to solve it with a war to win back unity. Why was that his first response? Why was his first response? Why did that seem to come so quickly for him? Why didn't he send messengers? Why does it, why does it immediately go to war? Well, his dad multiplied horses too. The two things that kings weren't supposed to do. Multiply wives and multiply horses. And you say, Ed, what's the big deal about horses? Well, horses were symbolic of what we would say today, how, what God would say to a king today is, one man, one woman, one lifetime king, don't turn in, don't multiply wives like all the other kings do, don't do that, which is still happening in the Middle East today, by the way. This isn't anything that's ancient. The, the, those that are leading Middle Eastern countries, many Middle Eastern countries under Islamic rule, multiply wives. It's still happening. But what we would say today is, don't multiply wives and also don't multiply war machines because you'll trust in them. And that's what Rehoboam turned to. What did his dad provide for him? What tools did he provide to his son? Idolatry and a war machine. Dads, prepare your kids well. Prepare your kids well. They're going to use the tools that you give them unless God somehow breaks through and frees them from your bad example. Prepare your kids well. Give them the right tools. Disciple them. Pray with them. Have that family time of talking about the things of God. Don't depend on Sunday school. Don't depend on the pastors in high school or junior high. You families that have kids in our school, don't depend on our school to disciple your kids. We will serve you and we will help you. And if it's the only thing they give, we will give everything that we can to that cause. But you are the primary responsibility for your children spiritually. I remember early on, as my pastor was teaching me and I was learning how to be a dad, that he said to have a family altar. To, to have a family altar. And what he meant by that was to have a, symbolically, a symbolic time where God is honored in your home that he takes more precedent than the television or the internet or the phones in our day, that, that God would be center stage, that you pray with your kids before they go, you drop them off at school. You lay your hands on them and pray God's best and protection in their lives, that you would do family devotions together. You go, Ed, I don't know what to do. I don't know how. There are tools down in the bookstore for you to do family devotions. It will take all of 15 minutes to start. If that, maybe 10. Talk about the things of the Lord. We're commanded in Deuteronomy. The children of Israel were commanded in us by application to talk about the things of the Lord around the house. To, to give direction and answer to your kids. To give them counsel. To develop a relationship with them. To not let the pressures of this world. You don't want to leave for them things that you disobeyed God in. You want to leave for them a pattern, a pattern of a good example. Are we going to hit the mark? I can tell you over the years I've raised my kids, uh, my oldest would be 31 this year and my youngest uh, is 20 this year. And I look back at my track record and I can't tell you that we did family devotions every night. You know why? We didn't. And I can't tell you that I prayed with them every night because 
sometimes I wasn't home at night and I didn't pray with them or I was arguing with Marie and we didn't have family devotions. I, I can't stand before you and say that I have a perfect track record as a dad. But I can say this. God revolutionized my life and I poured what I could into my kids. And I pray that I can hand off to them things of obedience and not disobedience. And it's never too late, parents. It's never too late to make the change. Don't leave your kids a heritage of disobedience. He turns to war. That's what daddy left him. That's why you build up a military. So you can go take care of business. And that's what he does. And God intervenes and says, no, don't do that. Praise God for his intervention. Amen? This is God just man. You're going in the wrong way and say, God says, no, don't do it. Now, of course, you still have to respond, but then don't do it. Say, yes, Lord. God doesn't just intervene when you're born again. He is actively involved in your life all the way to eternity. If you have ears to hear what the Spirit of God is saying to you, he'll be talking to you about things all the time. No, son. Yes, son. Well, please, son. Oh, daughter, please don't go there. Man, God is ministering through his Holy Spirit constantly, continually. And so God intervenes, and then he just tells us this thing. Don't do this. Don't go to war. This thing is from me. And that's what he wants. He doesn't, he doesn't, God doesn't tell him, you know, don't go to war because I told your dad a long time ago, kings don't go, don't multiply. He doesn't do that. Instead, he goes to a higher authority. And he says, don't go to war because I am God. And this is my sovereign plan. It's really cool. God's sovereignty, man's response. It's beautiful. Notice verse 25. So we finish up the chapter. Then Jeroboam built Shechem, in the mountains of Ephraim, dwelt there. Also he went out from there and built Penuel. And Jeroboam said in his heart, now the kingdom may return to the house of David. If these people go up to offer sacrifices in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, then the heart of his people will turn, their back, turn back to their Lord, Rehoboam, king of Judah. And they'll kill me and go back to Rehoboam, king of Judah. Therefore the king, verse 28, took counsel and made two calves of gold. That sounds like a great idea. And said to the people, it's too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Here are your gods, O Israel, which brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And he set one up in Bethel, and the other he put in Dan. Now this thing became a sin, for the people went to worship before the one as far as Dan. He made shrines on the high places and made priests from every class of people who were not of the sons of Levi. Jeroboam ordained a feast on the 15th day of the eighth month, like the feast that was in Judah, and offered sacrifices on the altar. So he did at Bethel, sacrificing to the calves that he made. And at Bethel, he installed the priests of the high places and which he had made. And so he made offerings on the altar, which he made at Bethel on the 15th day of the eighth month, in the month which he had devised in his own heart. He didn't get this from the Lord. He devised it in his own heart. He ordained a feast for the children of Israel, offered sacrifices on the altar and burned incense. So Jeroboam, far from Jerusalem, wants to make it easy for the people to worship. He thinks if they go back to Jerusalem, they'll align themselves back with Rehoboam. So what does he do? He wants to control them, not only by preventing them from going to Jerusalem and possibly being influenced, but also controlling their worship. And he creates these calves. Here are your gods. And they set them up, one in Dan, one in Bethel. Now, uh, those that go with us uh, on our tour to Israel, 
we're going to go up in the northern part. And one of the stops that we one of the places that we stop and have a Bible study is, is this very area where they set up the golden calf in Dan. And they built this kind of replica type of, of altar to kind of give you the visual of what it would look like. You can also look that up and see it if you can't go with us to Israel. And we'll be up there and we'll talk about this very thing. You're standing right here where Jeroboam was creating these calves for false worship to control the people. He also appointed priests and did his own feast days and lined them all up so that they would pattern and mimic the true following of God. And, and I was thinking, how many concessions and compromises are we willing to make in order to hold on to what we think we control? How many concessions, uh, how many compromises it will it take for you to finally see compromise is not helping you grow in the things of God? But you see compromise after compromise. I mean, just fashioning the calves, like, no, 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 don't do that. Don't do that. And, and that's where we leave. The, the, the nation's going to be dis in disarray. And it's going to be difficult days as we study through 1 Kings. Hey, thanks for joining us today for Abounding Grace. Pastor Ed Taylor has been in 1 Kings 12. It's a message we've titled, A Divided Kingdom. Hear it again online at calvaryaurora.org or purchase the CD from us for just $2 by calling 877-30-GRACE. Pastor Ed, in today's lesson, we observed a divided kingdom, and a case could be made that America is at such a place, divided, especially politically. How might this relate to where we're at as a nation today? Larry, that's a great observation that you make in that our country is divided politically and, quite frankly, always has been. Uh, there are those times of crisis that rise up and bring a sense of unity, but ultimately, in a country that's not led by God himself, division is going to take place. And it greatly grieves me uh, that there is so much division in our country and even division in the body of Christ. And I think that the way that we are able to have unity and harmony, you know, obeying what the Bible says, striving together uh, to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, is to get our eyes on the Lord. And our hope is not in man. Our hope is not in politics. Our hope is not in a country that's not divided. Because listen, even if politically our country wasn't divided, it would be divided between believer and unbeliever. And division is just one of those tools that the devil has used over the years, and it's very effective. And so I like, to, I like to do this with married couples. I like to do this with people that are at odds with one another. I like to have them draw a triangle, and at the top of the triangle, put the name Jesus Christ. On the left-hand bottom left, put your name, and on the bottom right, put the other name that you're divided with. And you'll notice most of our fights are down at the bottom, line to line, left and right, left and right. And we never get anywhere that way. We don't get closer to Jesus. We don't get closer to one another. But as we begin to ascend toward Jesus Christ, each of us, we start to seek the Lord. I was just reading today, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's the only way our country will become strong and strengthened uh, the only way that our marriages, the only way that our friendships, the only way that our churches will be strengthened is to seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. And if we're both seeking the Lord, you'll notice on that triangle, not only are we getting closer to Jesus, but we're also getting closer to one another. And may the Lord forgive us for our divisiveness. 
And may the Lord show mercy on us for uh, the decisions leaders have made, especially in the realm of abortion. And um, as my friend Joe Rosenberg has said, you know, our hands are bloody and God is merciful. And may we see more and more people uh, receive the mercy of God and the salvation of God until he waits, that there might be a great awakening one more time before the coming of the Lord. At Abounding Grace, we're committed to bringing the truths of God's Word to the radio every day. But we can't do it alone. We look to our listeners to help us provide these daily studies. And today, when you give a donation of $25 or more, we will send you Jesus Revolution by Greg Laurie and Ellen Vaughn. You'll be encouraged as you hear how God transformed an unlikely generation and how He can most certainly do it again. Call us right now at 877-30-GRACE or turn to calvaryaurora.org. If you're writing, here's our address, Abounding Grace, 18900 East Hamden Avenue, Aurora, Colorado, 80013. Then join us next time when we'll pick up what we left off in First Kings here on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Chapel Aurora.